0: This is Jeff Hittenberger, uh, Education for Love and Wisdom podcast, and I'm sitting in the studio at Vanguard University with Nathan Brays. We're both dads. We're thinking about first day of school, which is happening right now in schools across California. Nathan, I know you recently went through first day of school with your kids. How did it go? Yeah,
1: you know, first day of school is uh, an exciting day, but also nerve-wracking. There's a little excitement. There's a little nervousness. There's uncertainty. In our case, we had the back-to-school night the night before, so they got to meet their teachers briefly, but you just kind of get that sense that this is uh, unfamiliar territory, even though they've been going there and they're going back for the next grade. Just trying to figure out how to be a parent in that moment for a kid, um, because everyone's different. Some kids are off, off the car and they're happy and good, and other cases, you know, there's Drama that happens on the first day of school, you know, so you got to be there as the dad, as the mom, as the parent to uh, to meet them wherever they are. Well, it's it's a wonderful
0: kind of opportunity as a parent to show up with love and wisdom, even though we're feeling a lot of the same anxiety that our kids are. Um, And, you know, one of the most memorable first day of school for me with my son, Ben, was when he started at a new middle school. And, you know, that had all of the makings of a difficult experience because, I mean, it's middle school, so you got that, and it's first day. And uh, for Ben, he had started somewhere else before in middle school, and it hadn't worked out well at all. Um, Ben has special needs, and one of the things that he did, especially at that age, was to run out of his classroom without supervision. They call it eloping. It's an odd term for, for the phenomenon, but, right. but running out of your classroom without supervision. And in Ben's case, he has no sense of danger. Mm-hmm. So for him, that can mean running into a parking lot and not even be aware that he was at risk. So the school tried various things to help him through that. And in the end, they said, we just don't have the support staff available that can help Ben, you know, navigate safely here. And so, they recommended a different school. So, I went with him that morning to this new school, Newhart Intermediate School in Mission Viejo. And, you know, we got out of the car. We're standing um, watching the buses arrive. And he and I are in the waiting area together and just nervous as all get out. Um, So, buses are rolling in. And one at a time, his new classmates are getting off. They're joining him in the waiting area. He's just standing quietly. But New experiences, loud sounds, those are all things that can trigger Ben. He has a dual diagnosis of, of Down syndrome and autism. Um, and especially, kind of, the sensory issues are huge for him. And sometimes, when noises get real loud, he'll drop on the ground and just become immobile. So, I kept watching him to make sure, and also watching him to make sure he doesn't run out into the, the driveway with one of these buses coming. But so far so good we're both breathe, breathing deeply and then uh, another bus arrives and we hear crying really loud crying coming from the bus and you know it's clearly a girl's voice she's not happy at all um and the adults are trying to coax her off the bus she's not coming finally they get her to come off the bus They sort of lead her into the waiting area and she's still crying. She's still visibly upset. I'm watching Ben to think, oh, you know, I hope this doesn't get him off on the wrong foot here. I hope he's not, you know, distressed by this. Um, uh, But he, again, standing quietly and calmly. And then she looks over at him and recognizes him. I I see the flash of recognition in her eyes. And then when I look at her, I realize this is – We'll call her Elizabeth. And she was in Ben's class uh, in a previous year. And she's still distressed, but now she's sort of focused on Ben. And she walks over to us and stands right in front of Ben. And I'm just kind of praying quietly <laughs> that this goes well. And and look at him and, and he's not initially responding in any way to her. But then quietly, he reaches out his arms and just gives her a hug. And it, it is the absolute appropriate thing to do in the moment. But for him, very difficult thing to do with the sensory issues and the sounds and so on. But in the moment, he knew what to do. I didn't know what to do, but he knew what to do. And when he gave her the hug, I could see her shoulders visibly relax. And she stopped crying. And he just held her for, you know, it's probably 10 seconds. And in that 10 seconds, she calms down. And then he lets go and steps back. And then they kind of look at each other and the teacher calls them. Hey, time to go to class. And Ben says, bye, dad. And I said, bye, Ben. And he's off the class with Elizabeth. And in that moment, I think Ben showed up with love and wisdom, and he's going to be fine. And that was my most memorable first day of of school with my son, Ben. Love it. Welcome to Education for Love and Wisdom. My name is Jeff Hittenberger, and I serve as director of the Graduate Education Program at Vanguard University of Southern California. During the past few years, I've seen lots of fear and anger dominate conversations about American education. But I've also seen lots of love and wisdom from students, teachers, families, and community members. That's what we'll concentrate on in this podcast. Thank you for joining us. Ben teaches us every day about why love and wisdom matter in education and in life. In this episode, we'll show that while it is easy to get caught up in debates about education policy and to think that what we need to do is fight the enemies who are destroying education, whichever side of the culture wars we might be on, there is something much deeper, something that our experience with Ben exemplifies. Ben has had many wonderful teachers over the years. Occasionally, he had a teacher or an administrator who seemed disengaged or even resistant, but that was rare. One of the teachers who had a deep impact on Ben's life was Dawn Johnson. Dawn Johnson serves many students with very complex needs, students who have not necessarily been able to thrive in other school settings. Where does she find the joy to keep going after more than 30 years of teaching?
2: My name is Dawn Johnson, and I work as a special education teacher with the Orange County Department of Education. And I've worked with the county for Well, I can't even count all the years yet, but since I was 24 years old, uh, so way back into the 1980s, I get so excited watching the students learn what we've been trying to instruct them with, whether it's something as basic as a student in a wheelchair after six months being able to scoot himself back. After, you know, giving him the successive approximations and all of the reinforcement. And, and when he finally does it himself, we're like, Oh, I just, I want to go do a happy dance. I mean, it's just wonderful. Um, something from that to a student who I'm able to help them get used to a work environment. And when they graduate, they go into a, a adult program and they're very successful there. That's just to me, that's so exciting and rewarding. Um, to, to watch that happen. With the students, and it, and it takes time to kind of realize it's, this is going to take time. We'll keep working at it. And uh, we've got this, you know, like I said, that excitement of seeing the student who's worked on holding a spoon to scoop their food forever and ever, and they finally get it. A student who couldn't really walk with groups because, century wise, they just couldn't be around that many people. Now they can walk with us down to the track, walk around the track, and they like it. You know, they enjoy it. Just trying to keep that daily factor of kindness in there and in, in your soul and in your classroom. Um, the joy that you have every day. Trying to illustrate that in how you set your classroom up. Um, the kindness and just trying to understand other people's perspectives.
0: Don Johnson is an effective teacher because she sees her students through the eyes of love and wisdom. I asked my wife Christine how she sees Ben and how other people see him or don't see him.
3: That's difficult because as his mom, I'm completely biased. so <laughs> I am not objective at all because I you know see see I see him with the eyes of love. But I would say that in terms of working, you know every time we go out, whether it's the park or Walmart or the zoo or we're, or, or whatever. We get constantly have to deal with people's reactions. He's, he's a pretty happy guy and he's pretty secure, like in who he is, cause he knows he's loved and he's accepted. He's, he's cute. He's smart. He's funny. He's delightful. He's, I'm just an amazing person. But those quick assumptions are usually based on behaviors. And I would say the principle is people are not their behaviors. A person's identity is not your behaviors, it's not your conditions, it's not how you talk or don't talk, that kind of thing. Ben, um, you know, he's very sensitive to his environment. Very, you know, his hearing is very acute. So he has a hard time blocking out a lot of noise that typical people just can naturally block out and not just noise but but stimuli from the environment so heat and light sound wind so if the wind is blowing really too hard it hurts his ears and then he starts yelling because he's in pain but he can't articulate that and tell me, hey, the wind is so sharp, and it's hurting my ears and my eardrums. So he can't tell you that. Uh, Another one of Ben's behaviors that he does a lot is because he's overwhelmed a lot by stimulation, he he hums. So it's kind of a self-soothing thing that relaxes him. And the more overwhelmed he is, the louder the humming gets. And so we get lots of strange looks, you know, in Target and Walmart. And if it's super loud and it's super echoey, you know, he's learned to get louder. It it helps him. It helps soothe his body. And it it's a way for him, I think, to block out the noise. And he can hear his own humming that's soothing to him. And so when I was a a young mom at the beginning, you know, I was reacting to people's odd stares and, you know, weird looks at us. And I thought, you know, they're reacting to a behavior that they're assuming and judging is weird, but it's working for him. And so I'm going to join him. So then I hum too. And I sing, too. And we basically, wherever we go, we sing and hum. And that's, frankly, a very happy way (laughs) of going through life. It's really, it's helped me a lot. And so Ben has really taught me that. And, you know, Ben Ben responds to a lot of these overwhelming situations and environments, humming and then singing. Singing and singing and more singing. Which I think is probably one of the healthiest ways of approaching, um, you know, challenges in life.
0: On what basis are we able to see Ben or anyone else we meet as more than the sum of their behaviors or more than their visible traits? For us, a very helpful source of true sight and insight comes from the description of the creation of human beings in the Hebrew Bible, book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27.
3: So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them.
0: The Hebrew term for image of God is Tzelem Elohim. In Latin, this term is rendered Imago Dei. While the specific meaning of the term is much debated, it is clear that each human being is to be recognized as an image bearer of God, a person of infinite value, a person of extraordinary wonder. Do we see each other that way? C.S. Lewis, in The Weight of Eternal Glory, said, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. This idea is echoed in the American Declaration of Independence, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That person standing in front of me is made in the image of God, is loved by God, is created by God, is of infinite value, and is meant for beauty and goodness and flourishing. The person standing in front of me is worthy of my best efforts. It's easy to lose sight of that truth among the stresses and fears and emotions of our current moment in a polarized society. If Ben had been born in a previous generation, there's a really good chance that he would never have received an education. Prior to the early 1970s and the passage of Public Law 94-142 in 1975, there was no guarantee of education for children with special needs. How did people see them? Often they were seen as unworthy, as problematic, In fact, for most of the history of schools in most places in the world, including the United States, children with disabilities were excluded. The road to inclusion has been a long one. We could devote a whole episode to that struggle, and we probably will. But the point is this. The changes that have happened in the past two generations demonstrate the power of love and wisdom to create opportunities where opportunities were previously denied. To see people as valuable who have historically been devalued. Those changes have often come about because of the work, the love, the wisdom, and the advocacy of the very people who were deemed unworthy, people like Ben. As a teacher and parent, here are Christine's thoughts, summarizing what we've learned from Ben about love and wisdom in education and in
2: life.
3: Love and wisdom, especially love, it compels us, like as a parent, we learn, you know, When you have a child, several children, you become a parent. Love compels you to go way, way beyond uh, where you ever thought you would go. You, You learn to love way, way beyond any capacity you thought you had. You are motivated to champion and advocate and fight and support and provide for your children far beyond what you ever thought possible. Um, and it's a lifetime com- commitment because that's the nature of love. Love compels us to go far beyond and do whatever is needed to help support and provide uh, for that person's uh, needs and for them to feel loved and experience love and do whatever is necessary to support that person. That's the nature of love. And when it comes into our, the workplace, especially as educators, then if you choose a pathway of love, of, uh, a framework of love towards your students, it will compel you to go way beyond any capacity. And what love does is it, it, it creates capacity, it expands capacity, it stretches you far beyond what you could ever imagine. And so growth becomes a joyous, natural, wonderful process. Even when you're exhausted and you're out of ideas and out of solutions, you know it's like, well, I need to go to bed, and I'm going to get back up tomorrow and go back to the drawing board because you know, love is compelling me, and the the ideas and the strategies and the different models are out there. They're out there. You know, it's it's a matter of finding them and connecting with other uh, learners who are motivated by love. You know, for me, wisdom is the application of love because wisdom is, you know, in in, in Ben's life, we uh, are practicing this every day. Every day I get to practice this because I love and adore Ben. And of course, you know, our daughter as well and her learning needs are different. But because Ben is my first, I learned this with him first. And that is that because I love Ben and I am compelled to serve him in whatever way is needed, um, it it demands that I grow in wisdom, because it means I I try this and it doesn't work. I try ten things and it doesn't work. And then I gotta research and I gotta investigate and I gotta ask other people and I gotta experts. And then we try ten more things, you know, and those things don't work. But I I learned from them. We learned from them. Okay, so that didn't work, but okay, a couple things worked, and we observe and we document, and then. You know, we, we keep persisting in growing in wisdom. And then, you know what? Over the years, there's a lot of wisdom gained. So every time we go, we meet another challenge or in daily life, whether it's not challenging, uh, we have this, this huge repertoire of wisdom that we draw on now that's been created over time through the motivation of love. So they're beautiful partners. You know, one feeds into another. The wisdom will also tell you when you are burnt out and you're out of love and you're like, okay, I'm resentful, I'm complaining, I'm whining, I'm tired. So what is this about? And usually it's because we have exhausted ourselves and we've got to go back to the source of love. We have to go, and in our case, that is God god is love so soaking in love and the love of god and getting refreshed and renewed and regrouping and and, in getting anchored again and filled up with the love of god and and having our capacity for love filled up again then um it's like okay that's what's lacking and now um love I'm filled up with love, and then that will, again, motivate me and compel me and spur me on to grow and to to, to get back in there and, and to apply wisdom in whatever way is needed.
0: One final word for this episode, to take what we've learned from Ben and extend it outward. This isn't just our story, of course. Alex Urcioli is a teacher in the Salinas Union High School District. For 32 years, he has taught the same class, an alternative education class supporting students who have dropped out or fallen far behind in credits and maybe have lost hope that they'll be able to complete their education. Alex helps them get back on track and moving forward in their lives. Alex grew up in Salinas and attended Stanford University. He could have done a lot of different things, but this is what he decided to do with his life.
4: I have been so fortunate in my educational life To go from regular public school to Stanford and other opportunities after that as well. I came to a conscious decision because I had always thought I was going to be a lawyer, you know, go to law school. But that would have only enriched myself. Truly. I mean, I'm telling you true. I and my immediate family would have been possibly the only people that would have benefited from all of this preparation and the people that had supported me to get to a place like Stanford, which was a wonderful experience, never traded away uh, for anything. But I thought if I were a teacher, because I was thinking about that, then I would take all the things that I was given and supported and and offered and I would, I would be passing that on to other people, taking what I was given and all the support that I was given and pass that on by helping other students, other young people graduate from high school. And so that was, that was really the, it's like, I can take this and I can, I can make a comfortable life for myself and be very affluent and you know, high powered or whatever, or I can take everything that was given to me and I can give it to somebody else. I've never regretted that decision. <laughs> I never have regretted that decision because I'm honoring everybody that invested in me by investing in somebody else. My second grade teacher is the one that always always comes up. She was very flexible. You know, throughout my childhood I I was born with a disability, cerebral palsy and had a lot of orthopedic surgeries throughout my growing up from the time i was three to the time i was 16. and i had uh teachers that were willing to work with that and i had teachers that were not willing to work with that you know that's not fair to the rest of class if i do that for this one kid i was still recovering from surgery and i would return back to my class you know because you're gone for like several weeks or whatever she accepted me back you know into the class and okay and she would let me take naps if I was tired. It's like, okay, put your head down and, you know, we'll get back to our other things. But the the biggest thing, and this still sticks with me, I had to repeat a grade because I had missed so much school that year. And I went off to, to the next class because she was my second grade teacher. So I went off to third grade. And. It was just going over my head. You Like the gears in my head, I remember this, were turning. And I just wasn't getting it. Just, it wasn't, it, no matter how hard I would try, it just, it wasn't there. You know, the, the foundation was missing. And so we had a meeting. We went back to my second grade teacher, Mrs. Ani. That was her name. And we had a meeting with her. And she said to me, she said to me you know you've missed so much and I know that you're struggling in your new class and she says but if you would like to come back to my class for another year that I would love to have you back I love you and I'd love to be in your class. But it's the way she put it that has always stuck with me is that I know you're having difficulty and you can come back and I would I would love to have you back. And there was no there was no talk about failure, you know, because oh, you have to repeat this grade because you failed or you're missing credits or, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's in the context of failure so often rather than, and she was really great with this. She was a grandma. She'd been a teacher for, you know, years and years. Uh, but it was how, this is what would be good for you. I know you. And I know that I think this would be good and if you decide that that's what you want to do i would love that and i and i think i think that that it's like i want to be like that you know if i'm ever a teacher i want to be a teacher like that
1: Education for Love and Wisdom is produced by the Graduate Education Program at Vanguard University of Southern California. My name is Nathan Brace, and I serve as program coordinator. If you have thoughts to share or are interested in learning more about education programs at Vanguard University, email us at loveandwisdom at vanguard.edu. That's loveandwisdom with no spaces at vanguard.edu. And leave us a message. Special thanks to Bonnie Stahoviak, Trevor Van Winkle, Christine Corbin-Hittenberger, Don Johnson, and Alex Ursioli for their contributions to this episode. See you next time on Education for Love and Wisdom.